Hello and welcome to the locker room here on Indie Live Radio. This is a, a special locker room uh, tonight because it is Thursday night, not Friday night. We are actually uh, recording the show um, this week. We've just came in and um, sat down. You were watching the Rangers game, Matthew, and uh, they're out of uh, the, the Europa Cup. It's a, it's a Europa League special that only one of us saw. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those days full stop because today was actually one of the days where the Rugby World Cup in 2023 tickets went on sale. From what I understand, it wasn't the best of processes. I think they went on sale on Monday and then tonight. And supposedly France, who are holding the Rugby World Cup, had the ticket server up and it crashed on both occasions. And then by the time it sorted itself out, lots and lots of people um, couldn't buy tickets because they'd sold out. Um, so there was a lot of disappointed Scottish Scottish fans. And then only within about half an hour of the website crashing and all the tickets going on sale, lo, lo and behold, all of the tickets were then on sale for like double or treble the prices on um sort of the second sale ticket sites like ticket um like i don't know what stubhub and places like that um so you know it's a shame for the real fans this this afternoon and i think so the rugby fans weren't too bit too best pleased about that and then obviously we moved into the big game which was rangers and you know, I think we were all, you know, looking forward to this game. Um, I think we all thought Rangers had a chance, so even though they were up against, you know, a very a very strong Prague side, I think we all thought, you know, after the first game, um, Rangers still had a chance. But I mean, you know, another it was another disappointing night for Scottish football generally. I think, um, you know, even though it was Rangers' first defeat in the Europa League this season, it was just unfortunate that it came really at a critical time over a two-legged game. Um, you know, for a second tie in a row, Prague have came back from a draw at home to then go away and win. They won at Leicester last time, they've won at um, Rangers this time. And, you know, for a second season in a row, uh, Rangers obviously failed at the last 16 stage against a very impressive team. But, you know, I don't think Slavia Prague were any Bayer Leverkusen. I thought Bayer Leverkusen, obviously, last year probably had too much for Rangers. But, you know, Slavia Prague, I thought, were very beatable, even though they were well coached and they had a team of talent. I think we all thought they were beatable. Um, and despite a, a strong start, I, you know, I didn't feel Rangers got going. Uh, they had two changes to the team from the first leg. It didn't seem to pay off. Scott Arfield could not, you know, get across fast enough to shut down the cross for the opener, even though it was a it was a cracking header from Prague. Um, I think it was defendable and obviously, you know, Scott Arfield couldn't do that. Um and Balogun, you know, obviously had a, a night to forget. You know, there are there are positives from it, I suppose. Um, you know, Rangers will go in to the Champions League third round qualifier in July. Um but, you know, they'll be up against teams like Slavia Prague again in that round. And hopefully they've learned lessons from tonight and the tie as a, as a whole. Um, but unfortunately for Rangers, you know, and their, and their fans, tonight was one to forget. Um, you know, not only on the score front, but there was two red cards. Roof had a absolutely shocking red card on the 61st minute where the ball was through. And even though he didn't mean to do anything, 
his foot was so high that actually, I think it was his right foot clobbered the keeper right in the face, um, who then he had to go off injured. He probably had a broken nose. He had two black eyes, so it was a it was a shocking red card, really. Um, and 10 minutes after that, Balogun received a second yellow and was sent off in the 73rd minute that basically ended any Rangers' hopes. Um, Slavia Prague scored one minute after the Balogun red card, which, which sealed the win. So overall, I think it was a very disappointing night. We also had a bit of a skirmish in the last five, ten minutes. Sadly, we had an incident that may or may not be, but it seemed to be a racist incident against one of the Rangers players. Um, that kind of soured the night for Slavia Prague. There was a bit of a tussle after the game as well, um, which I think obviously, I think Slavia Prague, if there was a if there was a racist incident, then they have to come out and, and deal with that. Um, and for Rangers, the scuffles really came from frustration. They, they were frustrated all night by Slavia Prague. Slavia Prague were, you know, the deserved winners, but Rangers will be disappointed. Like I said, I think they, they thought that they had a chance against the Slavia Prague side, um, but they've just failed to take it. And, you know, again, Scottish football is counting the cost of another round of 16 exit in the Europa League. Now, that, this must be the first game that I've missed over the two legs because I, I had something on last week and I had something on tonight as well. And I only saw bits of the game. But see, before the game, Rangers fans were outside letting off fireworks. And I think before we talk about the game in a wee bit of detail, I, I don't know if Rangers fans will be back in trouble um, from EFA. Um, or the Scottish government because like, they were warned about their, you know, of, of the carry on fiasco last week, and then yet yeah, they were setting fireworks off before the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was just as the game started. There was fireworks behind. I think it was the main stand. Um, Ibrox fireworks were going off. It was hard to tell, but um, yeah, as soon as I saw that. I thought, oh, here we go, because obviously for the last two weeks we've had, you know, discussions as to whether the Celtic Rangers game was going to be on on Sunday. Um, you know, only at this, only in the middle of this week was it Wednesday. Um, I think it was, uh, it was announced that the Old Farm game at Celtic Park. Um, would be given the go-ahead by government. So we finally got to a point where we knew that the Celtic Rangers game was going to be played on Sunday at 12 o'clock and then obviously fireworks happen outside the ground. And, you know, while that might not be enough to call off the game on Sunday, um, I think it was pretty reckless and disappointing that that was happening because you just don't know when, you know, the, the or where the final straw um, but on the camel's back will happen because like this is again is another incident. There was fireworks at Livingston. There was fireworks tonight. Mm-hmm. We had the incidents uh, obviously when Rangers won the league. You know when will they learn? Um, mm-hmm. And if the game is called off on the basis of Rangers fans' behaviour, then you know again I think they should be looking at Celtic getting the the win on Sunday if the game happens to be postponed because it's Celtic have just sat there and watched all of this um, transpire around them. Obviously. It's Rangers fans every single time. And what is frustrating, I think, about this is that the Scottish government and the SFA and the SPFL don't come out and call this as it is. They always try and make it a Celtic Rangers thing. They always try and, you know, play a bit of what, are, what about it about this. You know, it's, oh, it's just the old firm or they're as bad as them or whatnot. If Celtic yeah. do something wrong, pure and simple Celtic should be punished. But likewise, on, on the second hand, if Rangers do something wrong, they should be blamed and they should be punished because the authorities were not slow in coming forward and blaming Celtic the first time around for, you know, Dubai and for, you know, incidents involving 
ball and goalie and things like that. They weren't slow in doing that. Why do they always seem so so slow and just purely blaming Rangers? Because it always becomes an old firm thing. It always becomes a grey area. Blame the right team. Blame Rangers this time because it clearly is their fault. But do do you not think? Okay, we well we, we spoke about Dubai in the show back in what was it December or after December and and and, and what have you. But um, what what I was going to say was, um, I think this is actually worse than <clears throat> than the Dubai fiasco. I think this is actually worse than. Um, you know, um, for the Rangers fans as well, you know, and um, obviously they're no setting very good examples. No, I mean, well, I mean, like, I think Rangers are quite happy and content to come forward and say, well, it's our, it's our fans, Governor, it's not us, um, we have nothing to do with it, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, you know, Ibrox, they, they weren't fast and coming out and condemning it in fact they were actively encouraging it because you saw the players coming out into the, the, the corner yeah. of Ibrox yeah. and celebrating you saw Gerard sticking his head out the window and actively celebrating it so they've not been they've not been quick in coming forward and saying no come on the, the Scottish government kind of pushed them a little bit as well as Celtic of course to say come on stay at home blah 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 but again you know to me, it is what about what about it because it is very much our wealth. Rangers do that. Celtic, we demand Celtic to this. We demand Celtic to that. You know, Celtic were blamed for Dubai, rightly so. They should have been punished. They were blamed for Bolingoli, rightly so. Should have been punished. And um, this is all on Rangers. This is all on mm. their fans. This is all on the fact that the club did actively not discourage that sort of behaviour. So therefore, instead of like making it an old firm thing as usual, when Rangers are involved. They should just come out and say it, call it as it is. If Rangers fans are causing trouble, they should be the ones that fit the bill for it. They should be the ones that are punished. It's not a Celtic thing all the time. And, and I mean, don't forget that, okay, we, we are speaking about Rangers fans and all that and Jog Square and over a Saturday and, um, well, Sunday, um, sort of Saturday and Celtic won the league on Sunday. So I think there was a big... Um, a big park parking Sunday, but don't forget that um, Rangers players were at a house party, and that seems to be forgotten about as well, you know. So, like, they, they, you know, what I'm saying is the Rangers they can get off scot free here, you know, because they've dug a lot of things uh, in the part in the season, you know, where house parties and, and all that, you know. Oh, definitely. And I think that I think that is fair. I think, you know, I think <clears> all the clubs should be fairly reviewed or analysed on the basis of COVID and behaviour mm. of fans and things like that. Um, you know, obviously Celtic did have a summer scenario way back in, you know, October, November time when fans protested at Celtic Park. Um and Celtic were again rightly, you know, reprimanded because of it. But the Rangers thing was on a different scale altogether. Um and and that's what has to be. Well, there, there, there wasn't thousands of Celtic fans, Matthew. There was thousands of, of Rangers fans, but you know. Yeah, and Celtic were rightly reprimanded yeah, back yeah, then in yeah. November, but Rangers was on a different level altogether. You know, Celtic fans never took over the city. They no. never, they never basically took over a whole street at um, Celtic Park. So, you know, I think this should be looked at as a as a club thing. It shouldn't be looked at as an you know, if Celtic are involved, we'll blame Celtic. But if Rangers are involved, we'll somehow drag Celtic into it as well. This is purely a Rangers thing, and Rangers should be punished. And you know, if 
if this does go on and the fireworks again are looked at, I'm sure it won't be because it's Rangers. Because it's Rangers, I doubt they'll look at it again. If it was Celtic, I'm sure they would. Um, but because it's Rangers, I don't think it will. But if it does come back and bite uh, Rangers, then they should be the ones again that are blamed for it. It shouldn't be brought into Celtic, Aberdeen, Hibs or anyone else. The, uh, the, the, the thing I was going to say here... Obviously, we're going to speak about the old firm game now on Sunday, but I don't know if you saw a video on um, a newspaper's website uh, last week. I'm not going to mention the newspaper, um, but um, they showed you a video of um, them putting up fencing around Silky Park, and I, I felt quite sad watching that video, <laughs> you know, uh, considering like, we've got COVID and people losing family members and people losing, losing Celtic fans and Rangers fans and all that. And I was just watching that video and I was like, uh, you know, that's not very, you know, I feel a bit I'm not happy watching that kind of like video, you know. Uh, uh, okay, it was only on for 30 seconds, but they, they were actually putting fencing up last, last week, Matthew. So it's been up for a whole week. The game's not until this Sunday, and like they were putting up last game, I think it was the like last Friday night or Saturday, and that was a week before the game. And you're thinking, well, that's that's terrible. But and then you go once get further, and you say that's embarrassing for Scottish football. I mean, Celtic must be used to putting up fences now. Um... Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get one now, Tim, after you. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're experts at it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is, it is an unfortunate scenario. I mean, Celtic should never have to put up fencing full stop. They certainly shouldn't have to put up fencing to stop fans going there. But, you know, I think the fencing's up because, you know, certain fans have said that they might, you know, go there and graffiti or cause damage to Celtic Park. And that's just not acceptable at all. You know, the Celtic shop last week, I think, was damaged uh, in the city centre. And that's not acceptable. And, you know, Celtic Park, Celtic have done a great job and, you know, getting the Celtic way set up. And, you know, they've done a great job for the area. And, you know, for people to just come and recklessly just say, well, well, we might... um graffiti it or we might destroy it in some ways just completely out of order mm. and yeah it's, it's bad for Scottish football and it's it's a poor reflection on the fans of, of Rangers that Celtic feel they have to do that mm. Let's speak about the game now because I, I think we've given that a, a long time, we can <laughs> actually fill for the show for two hours speaking about the, the fans but on the park um, I was saying to you today that it's been a funny build up to the game okay because usually you find that as Celtic or Rangers or whatever was in Europe but Rangers is in Europe but Celtic still not got a manager yet you know and we were expecting an announcement you know two weeks ago three weeks ago Celtic's been off a, off a quiet and I think I said that to you last week on the show that you know um we, we've been used to doing the show for, what, a few months? Well, more than a few months now, more than a year, but they were not coming up in, I think it's June. And we, we've always got news to tell people about, oh, this is happening to Selkirk, this is happening. But Selkirk's been awful quiet at the moment, you know, and it's just been a weird build-up to the old firm game, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, well, it's, I mean, for Rangers first as the champions, you know, we'll talk about that. I mean, it's quite difficult for them, as you say, you know, as you say, um, they had a big game tonight. And obviously that was, this game tonight was probably the more important of the two, just because, you know, they had a chance to get into the quarterfinals of the Europa League and, you know, everything was geared up to that. And, you know, I think while Rangers will feel they could have shown more over the two legs, you know, Slavia Prague were a tough team and I suppose that we've, we criticised Rangers a bit at the start, but, you know, we have to remember Slavia Prague, you know, they beat Leicester City, who are no easy cracks in the Premiership in the last round, and now they're beating Rangers. So even though, you know, I think Rangers, we have to remember Rangers are quite happy to get Slavia Prague. I think we have to remember, given Slavia Prague beating Leicester in the last round, they'd have been quite happy getting Rangers in this round. Mm. Um, and it was a difficult, it was a difficult tie. Uh, just after winning the league the first time around, this time last night it was it was a disaster. You know, and like we said, Rangers never really got going. Uh, we had two red cards. They, for the first time, I actually thought they defended poorly. You know, Scott, that first goal was a header. It's not often you see Rangers um, losing goals from set pieces, corners, or crosses into the box like that. So, this will be the first time Rangers have lost to Ibrox in about a year. It's the first time really they've been taken to task this season, I think, by a club. And it'll be interesting to see how they react mm-hmm. um, on Sunday when they come to Celtic Park in a game that really, I think, probably given the way it's going, probably means a bit more to Celtic because Rangers have won the league. You know, they're out of Europe now. The Scottish Cup's still there to be won, but Celtic have a lot to prove um, in this tie, given that they've not beat Rangers this year. In fact, they've not even scored a goal against them. I think you're right, Matthew, and a lot to Reagan on Celtic as well. First of all, Celtic's home game, so they wouldn't want to... They wouldn't want Rangers to come out to the back door, basically, and beat them twice in the one season. Um, and also, Celtic would be the first team in Scotland to beat Rangers. Well, sorry, sorry, St. Mithen fans, but you know what I mean? In the league, like, um, so there's a big in- in- incentive for Celtic as well, and not even that. If they, you know, um, they still get another game to come at Ibrox after that. So, like, they want, they would like to um, pay back. Well, maybe that's the wrong word to use, but pay back to mo- most of the fans about the disappointing season they- they've had and score a goal against them, you know, <laughs> because obviously the game at Ibrox Celtic dominated, but we knew that it was an own goal. So, Rangers never scored the goal that won the game. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what Rangers side comes out the first time around. If Rangers play well and play to their abilities, and I have no doubt in saying that they'll pick up the win because I think over the course of the season, if Rangers have played well, they are they are a better team than Celtic this mm-hmm. season. Um, but there's a few things at play here because Kennedy's obviously in a sort of caretaker manager role at the moment. For him really to have any chance of this job, I don't think he will have a chance to, to get the Celtic job but for him to have any chance of getting this job these are the games he has to win to prove that he can be the next Celtic manager so Mm -hmm. that's the one thing to it like you said again the players for Celtic have been very disappointing they never turned up for Neil Lennon um, therefore by token they've not showed up for Kennedy given that Kennedy was on the coaching team so they've not showed up all year Um, they've let down the club they've let down the fans um, they've let down everybody really uh, associated with Celtic and I think this is one of the games where you think well there's one little or we've got obviously we can, we've can got the second old firm coming um, as well that we can see at Ibrox but for Celtic you know this is the big chance to see if Celtic can beat Rangers um, especially at Celtic Park and the players really owe the fans one um, mm. from, from the goalkeeper all the way up to the front team but 
like has been the problem with Celtic all year, we just don't know what, Cel- what Celtic team is going to be in, first and foremost. We don't know the Celtic formation. We can only guess. And thirdly, whatever the team and whatever the formation, what Celtic side full stop is going to show up, we just don't know. Um, and that's why I think if Rangers do turn up, I think they'll have too much for Celtic because Celtic... I, I worry for them because they've just... They've not given any indication... Uh, when Lennon was there or Kennedy's first few games, to me they've not shown it, given any indication that they can compete against a full throttle Rangers team, um, and that's why this old firm game, if you're a Celtic fan, is is pretty concerning. I think they they done okay at Ibrox, you know, um, but when you analyse that game, they never had a lot of shots at goal, but you would say that they had a lot of the ball. I think Celtic's problem is Celtic do have a lot of the ball. It's just that the mm. final the final third. Is never good. Well, Celtic's problem's not in the middle of the park. Problem seems to be, you know, the the thirds, the most important thirds. They can't defend in the last third, and up up top, they can't seem to create as many chances or finish the chances they get. So, mm-hmm. I think that's the problem with Celtic is, is they struggle in the main areas of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you're hoping, you know, with Kennedy, they might at least be able to firm up that defence. Um, you'd hope with players up top like Edward and Griffiths and. Um, people will act Christie firing on all cylinders that they may I think obviously they look like they're going to leave the club but you'd expect you know Edward to put himself in the shop window and these are the games that he will because the world will be watching Celtic Rangers on Sunday and these are the games that you know will get people with big moves on both sides of the of this of the Glasgow divide but you know for Celtic that's what they've got they've got pride they've got to show the fans that they actually give um give a monkeys really about about this club and about this team um, and it's our last chance to show um, what they can do before the summer transfer window happens so it's a massive game for everybody associated clubs but you know like you said at the start of that piece the most important thing is where are Celtic going to go in the future what are they going to do to get season tickets through the door and you know the manager um, appointment and director of football appointment are probably the biggest appointments Celtic have made arguably since um, maybe even Martin O'Neill in the early 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, I mean, obviously that game's on Sunday. Uh, football tomorrow. Um, so the football and sack again tomorrow night. Let's just kick off. Um, see if I did there. Kick <laughs> off. Um, tomorrow night we've got Arrow against Dundee. And then on Saturday in the Premiership, um, Dundee and Lakeig against Aberdeen, Hamilton against Mellon, Kamarok against Murrowell, Levenskin against Hibbs, St. Johnson against Ross County, first division games, Abloth against Hearts, Air United, Rovers, Gunferman, Inverness, and Greenock Morton against Queen of the South. I don't know about you, Matthew, but the game of the day from, well, I was going to say the, the, day, the game of the day, but there's a few big games coming up, especially at the bottom of the league. But Dungy and Ikeg in Aberdeen, that used to be called the Newsome Derby. I don't know if it's still called the Newsome Derby, but it looks a very tasty game, that one. Yeah, I mean, I I always counted. I was a child of the eighties, um, and and basically, you know, the the, the Dundee United Aberdeen game was massive. Uh, watching that, and those two were really the only clubs who have managed to, and well, definitely in my lifetime, they're the only two really that have managed to try and compete on a regular basis to oust 
Rangers and Celtic at the top. So it's a big game historically, definitely historically. Um, it's at Tannadice, you know, Dungeon United are quite hard to beat at Tannadice. They're on an all right run of form. You know, they've won two of the last five, drew the other two and lost just the one. So Dungeon United are on a half-decent run. Um, there's still an outside chance of them getting into the uh, top six. It's very outside chance, but there is an outside chance of them getting into the top six if they can beat Aberdeen and other results go their way. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, it's a tough one for Aberdeen as well because Livingston... Um, Maybe maybe not so much St Mirren, but Livingston definitely are still sniffing around that fourth position. Um, and Aberdeen really will be expected, especially given the, the sort of managerial turmoil that's happened over the last few weeks at Aberdeen. You know, they'll be hoping that the managerial turnaround gives them a bit of a boost. Normally that happens. I think Kilmarnock seem to be the only side that have changed manager and not had that boost. Yeah, they're on the bad um, run of forum at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think Aberdeen, Kilmarnock might be the only side that's not happened to. So Aberdeen will be hoping to get that boost against Dungeon United, but it'll, it'll be a tough game. And it's one that's uh, one that I think I'm looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you might laugh at me here, Matthew, but the last few weekends I've bought um, certain clubs TV and over the past two weeks I bought, what was it, Marwell TV and St. Marwell TV. And I think if I was going to buy a game, it would be Dungeon United against Aberdeen. But in saying that, Levin's getting hips, that's a kind of derby game in a the, in the kind of way. But like Levin's can you know, uh, a fool just came off the bus, if you want to call it like that, after the cup final. But even before that as well, they, they've dropped a, a few points. And Hibs, uh, um, well, I've, I've said this to you before in the show, Hibs are a good team, but they're not consistent. No, I mean, Hibs, Hibs weren't consistent. They, you know, before uh, last weekend's game, they'd won two and lost. Uh two of the of the four games but the one last weekend it was a massive game I think down at the bottom really I mean for Hibs obviously the win cemented their top three aspirations um and it was good to see the return of Kevin Nisbet to score in form he he kind of went off the boil a little bit since since it was rumours of him going in January um Hibs obviously wanted to hang on to him and I think it was fair play because he's such an important uh, cog in the Hibs machine that Hibs kept on hold of him but it seemed to affect his um, attitude, well, maybe not his attitude, it affected his form, shall we say. His attitude was always the same, but it affected his form. Um, and last weekend, he obviously came off the bench when Hibs needed him because it looked like Ross County were going to manage to get a win that would have been so important in the in the bottom of the table um, because obviously Hamilton and Kilmarnock both lost last weekend. So if Ross County had won, that would have cemented Kilmarnock and Hamilton in the bottom two places. But Hibs, luckily enough for the other two, came back, got the win, um, and maybe that's their season again turn around. They've had a few blips. Um, you know, they had a blip at Christmas. They've had a blip recently. Um, but hopefully now Kevin Nisbet is back in the team number one. You know, he's in the Scotland squad, which is massive for him personally and for Scotland. Um, and hopefully that's Hibs back on the boil again, um, coming into a very, very difficult trip to um, Ammonville Stadium. Um and I think, you know, Livingston haven't been on great run themselves. They've been in an awful form since they got to the League Cup final. They won last weekend, which is good. Maybe again, that'll turn them around. But again, I always say this about Hibs. If Hibs have aspirations to be a top, top team, you shouldn't really have a problem going to Livingston and picking up the win, given the form Livingston are in. But it's tasty. Both of them are, are hopefully turning the corner. And it'll make uh, this weekend quite interesting at Livy. 
I think the the other interesting game is obviously we, we'll speak about Kamalka in a minute, but so um so Johnson and, and Ross County. So Johnson's been, you know, quite consistent this season. And also they've come off the a League Cup one as well. Ross County is fighting for their lives, but um I mean they've done well last weekend against Hibs. Um you know, in parts of that game, so that's a that's an interesting game as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ross County need the win. They need to start picking up wins. You know, at the moment, since since Yogi Hughes came in, you know, Hibs at Ross County either win or lose. There's not a lot of draws in there. Um, but if they continue to win one, lose one, win one, lose one, which tends to be the form they're in at the moment, that'll be enough to keep them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they were lost the last game. They've not they've not lost two in a row for a while under Yogi. So, you know, St. Johnson are in for a game on, on Saturday. Um, they'll be fighting for their lives. It's a massive game. You know, St. Johnson are, are now, you know, definitely going to be in the bottom six. Uh, so there's not a lot to play for so much for them except pride. Um, they've done the hard part of winning the League Cup. Um, so Ross County are going in there full throttle and it's going to be an interesting game, but it could be one of those games where, you know, Ross County just need it a bit more than St. Johnson do. I, I, and you... I, I know, I would say St. Johnson's in the bottom six and, the, you know, if the St. Johnson fans are listening, they might be disappointed how they're, you know, in the bottom six. But it's still a successful season, Matthew, winning the League Cup and I think it's what the Fusk in the Husky. I mean, if County, I mean, it's, I think it's our second in their history. Um, but I think if you know, outside the Rangers and Celtic, I think if any team wins a trophy, it's a successful season. I mean, mm, I think that's just mm. the way it goes. Um, if you're Hibs and Aberdeen, uh, or Hearts or someone like that, Dundee United, you might expect a little bit more. Um, if you're a team like St. Mirren, you know, Motherwell, Ross County, Hamilton, Kilmarnock, but definitely St. Johnson, you know, if you win a cup, not only has it been a good six season, it's been a mega season. Um, and this has been a mega season for St. Johnson. You know, they had a bit of upheaval at the start. The reason they're in the bottom six is their form right at the start of the season, um, which obviously wasn't good enough. Um, but now they've turned the corner and since they've, you know, they've changed the setup there. Since St. Johnson have done that, they've, they've arguably been one of the form teams in the country. Um, and that was obviously proven by going uh, to Hamden and beating Livingston, who at that time were probably equally the form side in the country. So... It just shows you what St. Johnson can do, but I just have a feeling that Ross County might need this game more. Um, and therefore, you know, at this stage of the season, you'll see teams like Ross County maybe having that little bit of an edge um, against teams like St. Johnson. Um, but again, it's a massive game for Ross County, you know, and if they can pick up anything, then again, it puts pressure on both Hamilton and Kilmarnock, um, who are struggling to pick up anything at the moment. Aye, aye. Let, let's speak about the game then. Matthew Hamilton and uh, St. Mullen and Kilmarnock and Murrow. But at the moment, you would say the favourites I could go go down would be Kamarok. Yeah, I mean, well, Hamilton have got a tough game. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the same thing doesn't apply for St. Johnston as it does St. Mirren. I think St. Mirren still have that opportunity to cement the top six. They're in the driving, um, the driving position at the moment, but they have that chance to cement it. I, you know, against a, obviously a Hamilton team um, that are desperate for points down at the bottom of the table. But Hamilton, you know, they've they've not won in the last five. They've lost two and drawn three of the last five games. They're not on a great run of form at the moment. St Mirren, on the other hand, um, you know, they've not lost too many. They've lost only one of the last five. Um, so, you know, maybe a draws on the, on the horizon here. But St Mirren can pick up, uh, if they can pick up points then that will cement that top six position for them and it, again it's a successful uh, season for the Paisley side if they manage to do that um, 
and Ham- they'll be looking at Hamilton thinking, well, you know, we've got a chance here really to do it this weekend and, and get that top six. Whereas Hamilton will be thinking, you know, obviously it's a home game. They'll be looking to pick up points. But again, you know, they don't score too many. They've only scored 30 goals this season. They concede a lot. They've conceded 59. It's one of the worst, obviously, goal differences in the league. Um, and I can see goals in this game possibly, but um, I think St Mirren might have too much for Hamilton. But let's move on now to speak about rugby, Matthew. Um, oh, quickly, sorry, Kamarok. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, sorry, Kamarok fans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is a this would have been a big game a couple of weeks ago. It would have been huge. But since mm. then, Motherwell have obviously won the last couple of games, and it seems to push them that. But out of the relegation zone, they're now you know nine points ahead of Hamilton. Uh, in that sort of relegation playoff position. So Motherwell, I think, have clawed themselves out of danger. Um, and they, they travelled to Kamarnock, obviously. Kamarnock are desperate for any sort of points, but they've lost four of the last five. They don't score many goals, like I've said. Um, they don't concede too many Kamarnock rounds enough. They, they don't mm. ever... They look yeah. solid enough. They don't concede, but they don't score. Um, and again, you could see this as being a bit of a nil-nil stalemate because Motherwell, Kamarnock don't concede many. Motherwell don't exactly score goals for fun either. They, they've struggled all year, really, in the goal-scoring stakes. So you could find Kamarnock could pick up a point in this one, but they desperately need the win. Um, it's a humongous game for Kamarnock this weekend. But Motherwell could, if they win, that will cement their safety for, for next season. Do you think, I know this is a bit of a daft question, but hey-ho, I'll say it anyway. Um, do you think Tommy Wright's in a bit of bother? I think they're in desperate bother. Um, no, no, I just mean him as a manager. Uh, well, I think he, he well, I mean, he's came in kind of halfway through the season. He's, mm. he, you know, you he, he thought that he, he would have a turnaround. He knows clubs inside out. Obviously. I, think he's, I think he's only had one point, Matthew, out of his, what, is it 10 games? He reminds me, this whole situation reminds me of when Teddy Butcher was in charge of Hibs, remember, when he came in and everybody thought, well, you know, he'll get the thing, he'll get the um, ball rolling, he'll we'll start preparing a bit for next season because surely uh, Hibs won't go down. And Butcher presided over a complete disaster at Easter Road, which ended up in them going down. And this has a feel to that. Because um, we all thought he would come in, Tommy Wright would come in, we all thought he would then turn it around and then we'd be looking up for Kilmarnock next season. But it's just not happened for him, for whatever reason it's not happened. Um, I mean, I would keep him, I, I think he's a, he's still a good manager. I think if Kilmarnock did go down, I would keep him in charge um, to try and give him a chance to turn it around. Because I think as we saw at his previous role in St. Johnson, he is a good manager. He can get small teams to compete in the SPL and compete for trophies. He can do that. Um you know, I, I think therefore Kamarnock would be a bit silly to let him go um, on the basis of this season because he's still picking up the pieces of what happened previously uh, with the previous management there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he was to go down, then obviously the question would be there as to what Kamarnock do next season. By the way, um, way Kamarnock fans, I was only asking the question. You don't have to shout at me. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, and scuff. Um, well, yeah, so and just... enough, the news coming out of Rangers at the moment. I know we are doing this on the Friday, but this is Thursday mm. night, obviously, just after the game. And Stephen Gerrard has come out and accused Slavia Prague of a racist comment. So, the incident at the end of the game uh, between a few of the Rangers players and a Slavia Prague player um, has obviously came out, and we all thought it was racist. A racist knew something there. Yeah. How how do you cover your mouth, Matthew, and, and say it? You know, if you were going to say something, just say it. <laughs> you know, but um, I suppose everybody's different now because you've got uh, professional riggers in, in the sport, and 
people's got to cover their mouths when they speak and all that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you don't like to speculate, obviously, but no. um, now that Gerard came out to say it, then we know for sure, you know, that's what it was, and it's disgusting, absolutely disgusting. No, the, no, punished. no need for that, no need for that. But uh, So, um, before we speak about the Scotland game six missions this weekend, Matthew, there was a bit of news before we come, came on air that um, to do the show that a couple of weeks ago, Matthew was telling us that the Scotland game France game was off, because most of the friend, uh, most of the friend squad had uh, coronavirus, but it came out tonight that the Scotland uh, game against France will be rescheduled for the twenty. Oh, it's a Friday night as well. Friday, uh, uh, <laughs> I never, I never saw the date. I only saw the date. So it's Friday the twenty sixth of March, and I think that's a quite a funny night to have a, a game but I presume that all the games will be finished by that time um, and the game was meant to be pay, played six days ago as I said but because of the the, the, the friends team having COVID so it's going to be on the 26th of March a Friday night Matthew Yeah I mean the Six Nations have always kind of tended to try and you know get into that Friday night market. They've attempted it a couple of seasons ago to try and get Friday night rugby on the go. Um, and it was relatively successful. I think I think people warmed it. They never did it this year. I don't think they done it last year. Um, but now by default we have the you know the Scotland France game on a Friday night on the twenty sixth. So it will be interesting to see it. Um, as well, it's an eight o'clock kickoff British time. Um, but that obviously means a nine o'clock time in Paris. So it's a late game for the French and the Scottish over there. So it is pretty late. Um, but it also means, you know, the, the main thing I think for the teams is it could mean that both sides could be without key players if their own clubs refuse to release them to play. And that was the problem, you know, we we felt when this game was first postponed, mm. uh, what the problem would be. Because Premiership Rugby, you know, say the release of English-based players has still to be resolved. Um, so the clubs are considering a request for players like, and it happens to be a Scottish Scottish players, you know, Stuart Hogg, Johnny Gray, Sean Maitland. Um, so the, they're, those those are the players that the Premiership Rugby may not um, not release. And from what I understand, you know, Premiership Rugby are unhappy about the timing of the game, which actually clashes with Gloucester against Exeter. And some of those players obviously would be playing in that game. So Premiership Rugby are not very happy. Um, obviously, the French leagues might not want to uh, release the players either. So it's, it could be a game that um, both sides could be lacking stars. Um, and again, it seems to be that Scotland could be unfairly um, punished in this regard. And it takes us back to what we were saying a few weeks ago. You know, at the end of the day, 11 French players, including the captain and the manager, tested positive coronavirus. That led to the game being postponed. But it seems to be ultimately it could be Scotland that are punished in this game by having some of their players not available because the Premiership Rugby don't want them to be playing for Scotland outside of the international window. So um, it is frustrating for Scotland. And France obviously are one of the top nations in the Six Nations. Going to Paris is always difficult without, you know, three at least three of our top players um, would be a disaster for Scotland. And um, we just hope that the Premiership Rugby will release them, but it's not clear cut. It's been a, 
disappointing tournament for Scotland this year, apart from the England one. But uh, it's funny because when, when you beat in England or the old enemy of whatever you call them, people's in the high, the nation's on the high, and everybody's saying, yes, we're going to win the Six Nations. And then after that, what happened? It was like uh, dominoes, they all kind of fell away. It's Scotland syndrome. I mean, if you think back to, you know, like the, the Even game... football. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. You know, like Scotland qualified for the first tournament since 1998 and then everybody's on the high. And in the next mm. two games, Scotland, if they pick up anything, Scotland would play in pool A of the Nations League, which would have been against the top teams in the, in, uh, in Europe. And what happens? You know, we go on and are very disappointing and we don't uh, finish top of the group. So, you know, that was in football. And this one, you know, again, we beat England, which was brilliant. Um and then, like you say, you're thinking, well, Scotland can go on. I didn't think we'd ever win it, but, you know, they could go on and do something in this tournament finally. So they beat England. And then, you know, the Welsh game was a bit disappointing because Scotland were over all over Wales uh, for the first, what, 50 minutes to an hour. Uh, the red card changed the game and Wales eventually went on to win by a point. But we all felt that, you know, Scotland could do better in that game if it was, or could have done better if it wasn't for that red card. But then they go on and play Ireland uh, last weekend, and that was bitterly disappointing because uh, Ireland, I thought, even though the game was close and it came down to the end, Scotland could have still got something at the end. Um, in fact, it was a sexton penalty uh, that won it uh, right at the right at the death. Um, the fact that Scotland were still in that game was a miracle because I thought Ireland were all over Scotland for the vast majority of that game um, and really should have been out of sight. So they are disappointing. Um, we host Italy on Saturday, penultimate match. We should we should give or take. God, please, willing, uh, get us get a win against Italy on I, Saturday. I mean, I mean <laughs> at, at these... At- at least at the bottom of the table. Uh, so basically, Matthew, it's fifth against six because at least bottom and we are second bottom. Yeah, I mean, we should win. I mean, thing is, definitely we should win. I mean, like I said, the Ireland game was disappointing. Um, there were some really disappointing aspects to that game on on, on Saturday. I mean, the, the line-out for Scotland was unbelievably bad as well. You know, not only during the game was Scotland disappointing, but even when we had a chance at the line-out to do something, you know, Scotland lost the vast majority of the line-outs. Um, and that was really disappointing as well against Ireland. So, you know, we've lost that game. But, you know, the game against Italy is coming up on Saturday. And, and there's been a few changes. You know, I thought Finn Russell was pretty disappointing against the Irish on, on uh, the weekend. But he's out because of concussions. So Stuart Hogg will play fly half. Um, and I think that actually worked quite well against the Irish strings. And I thought when Russell went off and Hogg could replace them, not only as a, as a fly half, but replaced them as a kicker. I thought we looked a bit more lethal and we did start clawing points back. Uh, Hugh Jones returns at outside centre um, for the penultimate match. Um, Sam Skinner and Grant Gilchrist will also come in to form the second row um, with Johnny Gray and Scott Cummings both out injured so there's been a few changes but also at scrum half the big one will be Scott Steele coming in um, my gran and my mother's maiden name was Steele so I was like having a Steele connection um, so scrum half Scott Steele will come in and play inside hog um, so that'll be a change as well that'll offensively, I think, help Scotland over the course of this game. And I think Scotland will have too much for Italy, ultimately. And we'll be all looking with interest to see how Hogg and Steele get on in the middle of that park um, and see what they can do. Because if it works, you know, you're hoping that it works, obviously. Then Finn Russell 
you know, as he's been pretty, he's not been at his best throughout this tournament. We'll see what um, Hogan still can do. Maybe that'll be the the, the pairing that goes into France uh, and Paris in next week. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Just run through the rest of the game for you. Um, at the, uh, sorry, at, at the, in Scotland, Ireland and England and France and Wales. I think Wales is going to win the Six Nations and well. It's it's a bit tight between them and Ireland. Uh, Wales has got nineteen points. Ireland has got eleven. But also you've got France and England and ten each. So you would say it's kind of wide open a wee bit at the top. Yeah, I mean, I I think Wales obviously do look the better the better team so far. I mean, obviously we saw Wales at, against um against. Scotland recently and they weren't at their best I think but they still managed to pick up the win they've, they've, against Ireland as well they weren't at their best but they managed to grind out a win um, they managed to beat England as well so it's it's a massive massive um, massive game I think and it would be disappointing for Wales if they're so close and then they have to go to France and France put the, the spanner on the works really for them but that's the game that we'll be looking at to see really if France have a chance because obviously if Wales win then it's game over um, but if France manage to beat Wales then it comes down to that game against Scotland um, so that'll be an interesting game at Stade de France then if that happens um, obviously England-Ireland's a massive game at the weekend anyway Ireland England against anyone's a massive game given England's history and sport and mm. And um and world politics, so especially the Ireland England game is, is always huge. Um, Ireland obviously have to win, and England have to win really to to have any hopes of anything. So, um, I think I think Ireland might have too much for England this weekend. Uh, you're hoping, um, but it's it's always a massive game. It's always a big occasion, um, and it'll be interesting to see that game behind closed doors because normally it's full and the atmosphere's great, but it'll be strange having an empty um empty stadium for this one. And also, Mafia, this Pro 14 games on this weekend as well. But before we dive into them, sorry, I, I never meant to say dive, but it just came out, but it, it fitted well. It fitted well into the rugby, you know. Well, before you, well, before oh, you sorry, go on, actually, yes. before you go on, another thing that just came to my hand as well for Ireland, uh, num- CJ Stander, who's one of my favourite players. He's South African, but he's played in Ireland for a long time. He plays for Munster one of their best players. He's obviously been one of the best players for Ireland as well over the years. He actually announced he's retiring from Ireland and Munster at the end of this season. So we wish CJ Stander um, all the best in his retirement because he's one of the best players I've ever seen. Well, uh, not that we not that we script the show every week, Matthew, but because you were speaking about Munster now, um, well, I've got to speak about them again. Um, because I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago on the show we were talking about Holly Davidson. Um, she's a first female ref from Scotland, and she's taking charge of a men's pro fourteen game tonight, um, involving Munster. And um, obviously, she's the first professional female ref and she qualified in 2007. I think that's good to see, Matthew, um, and, and all that, you know. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I think a quality at all levels is something that's very, very important. And, you know, to have women and, you know, being referees or being touch judges or being involved in any level of the sport is very positive. And, um, you know, good luck to her. Uh, at the weekend and good luck to her as we go along in the in the Pro 14. 
Yeah, um, so we have got a few games on. Um, Edinburgh's not playing till, is it Monday night? But for then, you've got the Pro 14 game Sunday against the Dragons, the second half year. I take it they're from Wales then. <laughs> if they're called the Dragons, well, you wouldn't be called a Skrilla again. Um, against up against the Glasgow Warriors. Yeah, I mean we're coming down towards the end of this season, obviously, and you know the top three at least are looking at champions, champions cup spots for next year. Um, Glasgow are not that far; they've got a game in hand over the Ospreys, um, and they're not that far off. Obviously, it's within touching distance, uh, seven points really against the Ospreys, where a game in hand is quite big. But the Dragons are in their conference, um, and it'll be a tough trip. The Dragons also will be looking at that and thinking we're only four points behind Glasgow, and if we can pick up the win this weekend, that will be huge. So. It's a big game in that in that conference for for Glasgow really to hopefully go and cement that position, but also maybe go on and challenge for the Champions Cup spot. Uh, and the next game is arguably even bigger: Cardiff against Edinburgh. Again, you know, Cardiff are only what seven points ahead of. Um, of Edinburgh, they come up against each other. Uh, Scarlets are just ahead of Cardiff, but Edinburgh have two games in hand. So it could well be that if, if Edinburgh have got any chance of getting into that top three, then you know going to Cardiff and picking up the win uh, would be very, very important um, for Edinburgh. So this weekend's going to have a big, big say in where Edinburgh and Glasgow finish uh, in the table and in the conferences. Uh, Dragons-Glasgow, obviously, I'd expect maybe Glasgow to win that game and then, but Cardiff-Edinburgh is going to be a complete humdinger and Edinburgh really need to pick up the win to have any chance of Champions Cup spots. And um, going back to what you were saying earlier on, Matthew, about um, they were crying rugby out on a Friday night when the Six Nations, but they've been doing that for Pro 14 for a few seasons now. Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult thing, I think, for Edinburgh and Glasgow is that, you know, the pool for Scotland isn't that big. And obviously, you know, for Glasgow and Edinburgh, um, a lot of their big players, a lot of their squad will end up in the Scotland sides, which, um, which is fair enough. But then when they play teams or games over the weekend, you know, Dragons and Cardiff, there's a lot more rugby players in Wales. So even when their top players go to the Welsh team, there's still a lot of players in the pool to go from. Same with Ireland, you know, they've got four provinces. There's a lot of players, especially in Leinster, that can fill that void when the team the players go and play in the Six Nations for Ireland. But Glasgow and Edinburgh don't have that luck. So, you know, when the Six Nations come around, you normally find that Glasgow and Edinburgh do tail off. Because of COVID as well this year, They've been even it's been even worse for them. So they've not had a great year so far, both of these sides, because of COVID and because of um, obviously international call-ups. But they've done a lot better in the last few weeks. They've looked a little better. Um, things are more positive for them. And obviously Edinburgh and Glasgow both have European aspirations um, as well on top of that. So hopefully things are looking up now that COVID's abating. But also since the Six Nations is coming to an end, they'll have their full players back to the last push for the last push to the end of the season. Now, we always like to hear about big tournaments, whether it's the Commonwealth Games or the European Championships coming to Scotland, but there was news coming out this week, Matthew, about the Evgenia cycling for, for people uh, out in their bikes and all that, but um, the, as the, the, the Tour of Britain will run... Um, well, it's going to visit Wales and different parts of England, but it finishes in Aberdeen on the 12th of September. And um, so it runs from Hoyt to Edinburgh um, as a free 
you know, they scheduled uh, challenge in the tournament. Um, the tournament will run between the 5th to the 12th of September, and this will be the first time since 2007 that the event has finished in Scotland. So there you go, Matthew. So it's quite good to see another event coming to, to Scotland. Yeah, well, I mean, especially because of COVID, um, it's quite important to have these big events still happening. And obviously, Hoyt Tedham run the 11th of September will be a big occasion if you're into your cycling. And it's always interesting going through the border roads up to the capital. Um, it'll be an interesting sort of stage for the cyclists. And then Stonehaven to Aberdeen on the 12th of September will be a decent stage as well. So for cyclists in the central belt or the borders to the central belt, and then uh, cyclists, uh, cycle fans, obviously, towards the north of Scotland will have their fix um, and it'll be an interesting couple of days in Scotland but also obviously it starts on the 5th of September so if you're Scottish and you happen to be listening to this you can see it around Penzance, Exeter, even in Wales, South, mm. South Cheshire, Warrington and then up from Cumbria to Gateshead so there's places to see this all around um, England, Wales and Scotland um, and it's good that it's coming to Scotland. And you would like to think by that time there'll be some people out watching it because Obviously, when you're watching the TV and when these events are on, Matthew, the atmosphere, the, there's a good atmosphere there. So, and it's the same way, kind of Emmy sport that we're talking about rugby or football, whatever. You miss that kind of atmosphere, but there's, there's something special about um, people standing at the side of the road, kind of like che cheering you on. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's interesting as well. This week, we were talking about Cheltenham last weekend. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, I've been watching Cheltenham this week, but there was an interesting thing that came up, I think, just one story that really got to me. And, you know, it was a story about Tiger Rome. Mm. Uh, he stormed to his fifth Cheltenham victory. And he's third in the Glenn Farkless chase. So the 11-year-old dual national, grand national winner uh, really did look at his best, um, going basically winning, winning, I think, that race quite easily. Um, and he took revenge on, the, on his French challenger, who I think beat him um, 12 months ago in the same race. So, you know, I don't think Tiger will be heading back to entry this year. Um, there's issues with regards to that. His career's obviously coming to an end, um, but Tiger Roll really showed that he's one of the best horses of all time uh, with that victory at Cheltenham, um, and it's good to see him going out really with a bang. I mean, you, I mean, you name me in the sport, Matthew, that that you don't miss the atmosphere there, you know, and that's one atmosphere that you miss the the Cheltenham or the Grand National, or the Scottish National, or the Air Races. You know, yeah, and definitely. but but I'll tell you what, and and I've said this to you for weeks, I think that it would be funny to see people back at these events because you're yeah, right used to watching events with no people there, and yet when people do go back, you know, I think we'll I think it would be funny watching the premiership this weekend because as a fan's not allowed back, um between now and the end of the season, I heard. So uh, it'll be funny seeing fans in football ski games. Yeah, and I think as well, like, you know, the top teams, the Premiership teams have, um, and the top sports have managed to survive this because sponsorship and TV revenue and things like that. But obviously, I think the people who definitely will be looking forward to having fans back are lower league teams or the sports that maybe aren't the top of the, the tree, like maybe ice hockey or basketball. So, 
teams and clubs like that will be looking forward to have fans back so they can get the thing going. And even, you know, this week it was an interesting thing that you talk about because the lower league teams in, uh, in the, for Scotland, for example, there's talks of Celtic and Rangers having B teams in League Two now. Mm. Um, and part of that, yeah, definitely for Celtic and Rangers, part of that is to get young players and, you know, looking at strategic partnership between premiership clubs and maybe B teams or lower league teams in regards to youth, the youth setup and getting youth players through. Um, but I think the important thing is League One and League Two obviously haven't had the revenue that they would have had this year. In fact, the leagues have been cancelled. Um, so can you imagine when fans are allowed back in finally uh, that the B teams might, or the, sorry, the League One and League Two sides might have Celtic and Rangers coming to their door. So that will increase crowds as well. So you'll have, you know, not only will Celtic and Rangers bring a larger crowd than you would have got normally, just about, but I think from what I hear is clubs in League One and Two will benefit by at least £100,000 over five years. Uh, they'll be able to get loan players easily, a bit easier. And I think the financial model would mean that first and second place in the Premiership would forgo £290,000 for the first five years, and that would be sank back down the, down the leagues. So you'll find that when COVID's back, fans will be back, but also um, the setup of different sports will change to manage to get these lower league teams and, and lower clubs and sports back to where they were before COVID. Yeah, no, we could see that obviously the football fans in the main league in Scotland they won't be back on that season um, and, and all that as well. And you never know, there might be fans allowed back in at the Scottish Cup final as well because, uh, you know, the, the Scottish Cup final is back and and also um, we'll find out in, what, what did you say uh, in last week? So I think it was April that we, we'll find out if the UEFA has given Scotland the, the go-ahead to hold the European Championships. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all waiting for the European Championships. But before that as well, I think the, you know, the English Premiership might have fans back into their grounds. So, you know, there's been talk of, you know, I think Aston Villa are due to play Chelsea the last game of the season at Villa Park. You know, there's talks that fans might be allowed back in. Uh, for that one then that would then go on to the European Championships and if the European Championships have fans in then that means there's a very high chance that obviously fans will be in, in droves for the start of the Premiership season and hopefully the SPL and, and the, the games in Scotland uh, for August so you know here's hoping that this is the start of now that vaccines are coming in now that numbers are dropping off hopefully now it's the start of fans coming into sports and we can start going back to some normality finally. Yeah, because uh, it's funny because we 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 started the show way back last year. We know any sports, <laughs> but over the weeks the sports are coming back uh, bit by bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because. Um, you know, another interesting thing, I think, to come of this, obviously, we're talking about Celtic and Rangers B teams. But another thing is, I think COVID, the COVID line, landscape really has has changed the opinions of people generally in sport um, to see structures and how clubs can survive. And an interesting thing that picked up this week that wasn't Scottish related, but it was actually the Belgian League, the Belgian Pro League voted to merge with the Dutch League. So the proposal at the moment will be an 18-team league structure that includes the top teams from Belgium and the top teams from uh, the Netherlands. And I think that's just because purely that, you know, COVID has given people a chance to look at things and think, well, what's going wrong? What can we do to improve things? How can we get, um, you know, financial compensation to 
go back to where we were before and also compete at a certain level. And it's interesting because obviously with the Belgian and the Dutch uh, teams merging into a, into a sort of Super League round about there, that would be an interesting thing in regards to Celtic and Rangers because if that goes ahead, what then would be preventing Celtic and Rangers, say, going down south to join uh, the English leagues or going to... Um, maybe join the Belgian and Dutch Super League themselves or playing against maybe the Dutch and Norwegians or, or Danish. So I think that if that happens, then it'll open the door to Celtic and Rangers maybe going to bigger leagues and being able to compete at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And that, in token, would give other teams in Scotland the chance to be successful in big teams in their own right with the old firm out of the picture. Mm. Okay, yeah, that, that's another debate and, and stuff like that. And we'll speak about that um weeks to come on under live radio um email us any information or views or whatever you've heard on the show tonight locker room live at gmail.com and you can download the podcast from the website just after this very show tonight so have a good weekend uh keep well and keep safe that's uh that's the kind of buzzword we're, we're using <laughs> now and uh we'll see you next week take care bye